0: A man was sick and tired of going to work every day while his wife just stayed at home. He wanted her to see what he went through each day, so he prayed, Dear Lord, I go to work every day and I put in eight hours of exhausting work while my wife, she stays at home, and I want her to know what I go through. So tonight, while we're sleeping, do a miracle and help us switch bodies. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, granted his wish. And the next morning, sure enough, the man woke up as his wife. So he got up and he cooked breakfast for everyone and he woke up the kids and he set out the school clothes and he fed them breakfast and packed their lunches and then drove them to school and then came home and picked up the dry cleaning and took it to the cleaners and then stopped at the bank and then he paid the bills and went grocery shopping and came home and put away the groceries and he cleaned up the cat's litter box and then bathed the dog and by then it was one o'clock so he hurried to make the beds and do the laundry and vacuum and dust and sweep and mop the kitchen floor and then he rushed to school to pick up the kids and got into argument with the kids on the way home so he put out some cookies and milk to calm them down and get them started on their homework and then he went to the ironing board and started watching a little bit of tv while he did the ironing and by then it's 4 30 so he started to peel the potatoes and wash the green for salads and then he put together the chops and fresh vegetables and got everything ready for dinner and then after supper he cleaned the kitchen and ran the dishwasher and folded laundry and bathed the kids and then put them to bed and by nine o'clock he was exhausted and went to bed where now he was expected to make love which was really awkward, but he managed to get through it without complaining. And the next morning, he (laughs) awoke and immediately knelt by the bed and said, Lord, I don't know what I was thinking. I was so wrong to envy my wife for being able to stay home all day. Please, oh please, God, switch us back. And the Lord said, my son... I feel you've learned your lesson, and I will be happy to change things back to the way they were, but you're going to have to wait nine months because you got pregnant last night. How many of you know life can be exhausting? Jesus has something to say to us this morning. I think that's really going to help us out. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your help. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Be with us today as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here are the words of Jesus Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let me set the stage here. Jesus has just sent out his disciples out to the surrounding Jewish towns with the authority to heal and to cast out demons. And now Jesus himself is teaching in the fishing villages around Galilee when he's approached by the disciples of his cousin John, who is now incarcerated in a desert fortress called Machaerus. The cousin of Jesus was John the Baptist. Now, John was the son of a priest. And like all of the faithful Jews at this time, John was frustrated because the the Word of God says that the high priesthood was to be passed down from father to son, father to son, and this was God's will in His Word on the matter. But now, Herod had appointed a high priest. So, If it wasn't bad enough being occupied by the Roman Empire or having a lunatic murderer like Herod as a king, now corruption has infiltrated the highest levels of their religion. And to explain this a little more in detail, when I was in Israel, I went to the property of Caiaphas, who was that high priest appointed by Herod. And on his property, he had pits dug in his backyard that were dungeons to hold prisoners in. So if you have a pastor who has dungeons on his backyard, maybe you need to change churches. And this is what John does. He leaves the priesthood to go and be a voice in the wilderness, preaching repentance towards God. Now, every prophet before John had preached, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. But when Jesus shows up to be baptized by John, he was able to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's here, and he's going to take away the sins of the world, not just the sins of the religious, not just the sins of the Jews, but the sins of the whole world. The people that you like and the people that you don't. John knew what Jesus had come to do, but he wasn't really clear on how Jesus was going to do it. Now, John had publicly denounced Herod's adulterous and incestuous marriage to Herodias, and now John was in chains. And God's word says when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to go ask him, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. John's disciples had come to ask on his behalf whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, and as John sat in that dank first-century dungeon for a couple of months, he started to doubt, and he needed some reassurance because life was not working out the way he thought that it should. He was the road preparer for the Messiah, and now Messiah shows up, and I'm in the clink. And if I'm not broken out, I'm going to die in here. He needs to know that Jesus is the one that we've been praying for. I mean, we've all been there, right? A couple of months in jail? Okay, maybe not. Well, most of us know at least how frustrating it is when you're doing the right thing all the time, and you still get in trouble anyway. Jesus reminds those disciples of the miracles that they saw and the teaching that they heard. Jesus wants John to know, yes, I am the Messiah, but I'm not coming to get you out of prison. Don't be offended in me, JB. I'm on a mission here, and I cannot disobey the will of my Father, not even for my own cousin. I will not be diverted from doing what it is I was sent to do, even though it means you are suffering. God's will is being done, John. Don't be offended. And Jesus feels the tension that surrounds every move that he makes, because if he goes to free John and organizes a prison break, it's going to spark a rebellion that will eventually lead to a confrontation with Caesar and with Rome. And of course, Jesus would win, but humanity would lose, because that path leads away from the cross. And Jesus did not come to destroy Rome. The Romans were gonna do that all by themselves without any help from him. No, Jesus came to save the souls of Roman people. Jesus came to save the bad guys too. And a political conflict would lead Jesus away from God's plan for salvation. Stay here, John dies. Go to John. Humanity loses a redeemer and Satan wins. Or keep preaching. And deal with the unrepentant religious attitudes and eventually be betrayed. And so here's what the Bible says. Jesus says, You, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment then it will be for you. Jesus had been pouring himself out in these towns, teaching and preaching and healing the sick and showing everyone what God is like, and still no change of heart. And these are more than the rantings of a frustrated man, more than anyone else. Jesus sees the day of judgment. He knows what it looks like. He knows what it sounds like. He knows what it smells like. He can see the faces of people twisted in horror as they suddenly realize too late all of the opportunities that they had wasted in this life. And Jesus knows better than anyone the agonies and the torments of hell. And Jesus said, if the ungodly Sodomites had seen and heard what has been afforded to you, they would have repented and their city would still be standing But because you have been given truth and miracle after miracle, hell will be worse for you because you had me and you still would not repent. And Jesus lays out a crystal clear warning here to religious people because he sees what lies in store for people who refuse to see, who refuse to listen. Stubborn, hard-hearted, unrepentant. Jesus doesn't want anyone to suffer the torment of hell. And they started to think, whoa, if it's going to be worse for us than Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, it was pretty bad for them. God nuked Sodom and Gomorrah. How are we going to survive? And Jesus looks out at that crowd, and he sees people like us. He sees the confused and the sinful. He sees those that are working real hard at their religion and quick to condemn those who aren't working hard enough. And he sees our desperate need to find a way to know God. And he sees the fear in their eyes his warning. And in that moment, Jesus eases their fear by giving them the simple solution. Come to me. Come with me if you want to live. It's okay, Mom. He's here to help. All right, now, I'm not necessarily promoting the Terminator movies here this morning. I just, it was too good of a line to pass up. And if you don't know, the movies are basically about these uh, killer time-traveling robots who you know, travel around in time to kill people. It's really violent. Anyway, one of them gets programmed to do good, right? And he's sent to protect human life. Now, Jesus knows the danger that lies ahead because he's from the future, and he knows our only chance for survival is to come with me, and when we come to Jesus, we leave the place where we are and all of the possible places that we might go because we can only be in one place at one time, and Jesus invites us to be with him, to be where he is, to share in his presence and to learn from him and to live with him, to enjoy him above all other things, His word says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Jesus promises us if we just come to him, he'll help us set the other matters of our lives in order. Come to Jesus first with your worries and your concerns and your frustrations. Why should we come to Jesus? Because coming to Jesus is life. He is the oasis of fresh water in a desert of disappointments. There was one occasion after Jesus performs this miracle where he feeds 5,000 people that he begins to do this very hard teaching about the sufferings of Messiah, and many became offended and walked away. And Jesus turned to his disciples, and he said, will you leave me too? And Peter responded, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus invites us to understand what he already knows, that there is nothing and no one else that can truly satisfy our souls. Jesus alone is our priceless treasure and deserving of all of our worship and devotion. And in all of our other pursuits, you will find momentary pleasures that without Christ will only lead to deeper emptiness. Like a strong firefighter sees a little child trapped in a second story burning house, Jesus looks to us and he says, Come to me. Don't be afraid. Jump. I'll save you if you just jump into my arms. Jesus does not offer us anything less or anything other than himself. Jesus knows as soon as we move our focus away from him and onto rituals or what other people are saying or doing, then we start comparing ourselves to each other. Matthew records an incident that illustrates this so well when Jesus sends out his disciples across the lake and Jesus stays behind alone to pray. And while the disciples are in their boats, a storm comes. And now it's the middle of the night, and they, even though they're experienced sailors and fishermen, they're about to be overcome by just the sheer power of nature. And then they see Jesus walking towards them on the waves. And when the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and they started screaming in terror. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter called, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And of course, Jesus reaches down and pulls Peter up out of the water. When we focus on our problems or what other people are saying and doing, then we sink just like Peter in that storm. Stay focused on Jesus. Those that excel in religious duties sometimes make that stupid mistake of now thinking, I'm arrived, I've am i arrived and I'm pleasing to God and don't understand that pride has already corrupted them, just like it did Lucifer. And those that fumble and fail in religious matters sometimes try to hide it or wind up being burned out, trying to keep up with the expectation of everybody else or of themselves, and their faith comes crashing down, and then they just start hating everything religious, even the good things. Jesus has not invited us to come to religion. He has invited us to come to himself. Come to me. Jesus offers us a relationship. Jesus offers us his person. He doesn't put conditions on it, and he doesn't say, clean yourself up and stop acting like an idiot and then come to me. No. Jesus takes care of all of the demands of religion when he allows himself to be beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross for our sins. Jesus knows that religion is, is an obstacle between people and God. And some people love that obstacle, and some people hate it. Jesus removes it at the cross, and Jesus says, "'Come to me.'" There was an exhausted blonde, and she drags herself to a doctor's office, and she says, "'Doc, there's dogs all over my neighborhood, and they bark all day and all night.'" and I can't get a wink of sleep. And the doctor says, I've got good news for you. Here are some new sleeping pills that work like a dream. A few of these, and your troubles will disappear. Great, said the blonde. I'll try anything. Let's give it a shot. And a few weeks roll by, and the blonde returns. But she looks worse than ever. Doc, your plan is no good. I'm more tired than before. Well, uh, I don't understand how that can be. I mean, those are the strongest pills on the market. Well, that may be true, but I'm up all night chasing those dogs, and when I finally catch one, I can't get him to swallow the pill. (laughs) All you who are weary, anybody tired yet? Our conscience is burdened by our lies and deceptions. Our hearts are troubled by the feelings of envy and pride and jealousy and hate and fear. Our minds labor with the memories of words and deeds, things that we regret and we can't go and undo. In a movie about the American Revolution called The Patriot, we hear the thoughts of Benjamin Martin, played by Mel Gibson. says, I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me, and the cost is more than I can bear. I remember being at a place in my life where I had done and said so much that I just felt like God despised me and and he didn't even want to hear from me anymore. And so I just asked my dad, would you pray for me instead? Why? Because in our moments of clarity, we understand that through our selfishness and our sinfulness, we have grossly offended other people. And more importantly, we have offended God. And yet it is God that we so desperately need. Abraham Lincoln said... You can fool some of the people all the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. And I would add to that, you can't fool Jesus any time. Jesus sees past our poker face into the contents of our hearts and minds, and he's not deceived one second by our lies. I remember one time I I saw my little daughter, Mila. She had bent over and reached and picked something up off the floor, and she turned around, and when she saw that I was looking at her, she put her little hand around her back. And Kirsten and I never taught her to do that. It's an aspect of our fallen nature that we want to hide the truth about who we are and what we've got our hands on. But Jesus sees our true self. So how do we reach out? How can we possibly repair that relationship? A good Muslim has to pray five times a day, and they'll fast for a whole month every year. An Orthodox Jew has to use separate sinks for dairy and non-dairy foods. A Sikh gets up three hours before dawn every day to wash and pray. A Hindu will make an offering at their household shrine three times every day. Other religious people pierce themselves or beat themselves with whips or cut themselves with knives to seek the favor of the gods. Jesus sees us paralyzed by a load of heavy burdens, beating ourselves up, eaten with self-loathing, but unable to escape the chains of our own bondage. And Satan laughs at our condition, whispering lies, God could never love you. God would never want you. And he leads millions down the paths of false religions in blind attempt to find acceptance from God. But Jesus sees us as we really are. And he still loves us. He loves us more than the idea of going to break his cousin John out of prison. He loves us more than the idea of overthrowing corrupt politicians in Rome. Jesus loves us more than his own life. He will choose to obey the will of the Father. And he will lay down his life that we might be free and experience rest. Jesus will choose the cross. I will give you rest. Jesus exchanges his strength for all of your weaknesses. And like that little children's song says, we are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. When I first moved out here 20 years ago, I remember I was asked by the education pastor at the time if I would please consider temporarily subbing in a Sunday school class and understand that I had, at that time, I would just recently come back to the Lord. I was certainly not a pastor by any stretch of the imagination, and I was, I was just humbled that I was asked to do anything. And I said yes, and So one night, I was just kind of doing some study to prepare for the class, and I was doing a word study in the Bible on the word blood. So basically, I was just going through the whole Bible to see all the references and symbolism and imagery and meaning of that word in the Bible, but all I could think about and hear in my head was, who do you think you are standing up in front of anyone to teach anything? Are you seriously going to stand up in front of a class of high school students and tell them how to be? when you were in high school and you did the exact opposite? I mean, can there possibly be a bigger hypocrite than you doing that? You're a joke. Does anybody know where I'm coming from this morning? Thoughts like these, they were coming louder and louder until I I couldn't even read my Bible anymore. And I, I know this doesn't make any logical sense, but I just, I like had to get out of my room. So I left my room, I went in the bathroom, and I closed the door, and I just laid on the floor and I prayed. And I basically said, God, you know, I'm trying to do something good here. I'm trying to teach this class, and all I can think about is what a huge hypocrite I am and a joke. And I've blown a whole segment of my life in rebellion, and God, remember, you're the one who picked me. You moved me out here to California, and you saved me, and you asked me to do this class, so this is kind of all your fault, God. It's your problem. (laughs) And I felt a little better after saying all that, and And I thought, well, Sunday's going to come whether, you know, ready or not, so I might as well go keep studying. So I went back into my room, and I opened up the Bible and found myself in Psalm chapter 40. And as I was reading it, I was just amazed at the idea that King David, while he's writing this psalm, he's so anointed by God that while he's writing this song, he begins to prophesy words that sound like they come right out of the mouth of Jesus himself. He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire but my ears you opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, here I am. I've come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I was really impressed by that. And then later in this very same song, David writes, do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I can't see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. And now, some of you may have been around here long enough to remember this, but at the time, I had really, really long hair. (laughs) And sins being more than the hairs of my head, well, now that was something I could relate to. And for a moment, I was trying to logically like piece together how David was writing the song. And as he's writing it, you know, the Holy Spirit comes on him for a moment and he begins to prophesy about Messiah, but then maybe the Holy Spirit lifted, and because now he's clearly speaking about more sin than the hairs on his head, because every good Christian knows that Jesus never sinned. So this part of the song must be prophecy and this part is worship. But then a voice spoke to me, not in my ears, but in my heart and said, no, you're wrong. That part is also about me. Those are my words because when I was suffering on the cross, I was so close to you that all of your sins and all of your shame and all of the g- regret, I no longer call it yours. I call it mine. I carried them for you. It's obvious you can't carry them. So why don't you just let me And immediately I I burst into tears because that was exactly what I needed to hear from the Lord and because I'd never had the experience of the Lord teaching me something like that before and because I had the experience of all my guilt just evaporate into nothing. And if we come to Jesus, we can have rest for our souls because he will take the burden of religion from us. We don't need to try any longer to please God by what we do because Jesus has done that for us, and that's what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross, and that's what his coming back to life from the dead confirms. Because of what Jesus has done, we can enter freely into the presence of God, and we can have rest for our souls, not striving to make ourselves acceptable to God, not worried about whether we've done enough to please him. Rest. It's what sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions in the world, Every other religion is about what you must do to please God. But Christianity is about what God has done for you. And this is the kind of rest where Jesus gets you up in the morning and he says, Good morning, I want you to know I walked the dog and I cut the lawn and I finished the laundry and I fixed that leaking pipe and I made you a hot breakfast and it's on the kitchen table. Enjoy. Wow, it's done. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Now, a yoke is a farming device. It's made of wood and straps that attach two animals of similar build and strength in order for them to achieve the same goal, like plowing a field or pulling out a tree stump or carrying a cart. Jesus instructs us to tie ourselves to him. Why? Because we're equal in strength to Jesus? No, not at all. But the work is already done. All that Jesus asked is that we come to him and take his yoke upon us. And that means we recognize him for who he is, the son of God. And we commit ourselves to living his way, not ours. That's what it means to take his yoke upon us. Like oxen hitched up to a plow working for a farmer, we submit ourselves to Jesus as our master, committing to do what he wants us to do and live the way he wants us to live. Jesus offers us rest for our souls. And Jesus says, not only do I have my stuff together, I got yours too. And this isn't about putting up your spiritual feet and getting lazy and doing nothing. No, it's, it's about learning to live life the way it's supposed to be lived. Saying to Jesus, I'll live life your way, not mine. It's praying along with Jesus, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And the longer we stay with Jesus and the more we value Jesus above all things, the more we begin to learn from him what life is really about. And when we think of tying ourselves to a person, it kind of brings up that image of marriage, doesn't it? That's what you think of. Jesus is not into casual hookups. No, Jesus wants a long-term, lifetime relationship with you. He wants us to make our home with him, to belong to him, he says to us, come to me. And now that he has removed our burdens and filled our hearts with peace, now that he has reunited us to God and given our souls rest, now he says, I want you to belong to my love. Now, the world rejects this idea of love. It says, now, come on now, why would you want to go and do something like that? I mean, you're young, come on, be a player. You only live once. I remember when uh, I had just gotten engaged to Kirsten, and at the time she was working at the Pentagon. And she, at that point, had told her employer and all of the other people working there at the surrounding cubicles, I'm quitting, I'm leaving, blah, blah, blah. And her employer uh, came to her and he said, Look, Kirsten, you've, you're young, you've got a great career, you're working here at the Pentagon. Are you sure this is what you want to do? I mean, You're going to move to California to a little town and marry a pastor? Are you crazy? Crazy in love. (laughs) People are going to second guess you, they're going to call you crazy but that's because they haven't fallen in love with your future spouse yet. They have not fallen in love with Jesus. And people are going to misunderstand what's going on with you because now you no longer play the same mind games they do. You don't party anymore. You don't sleep around anymore. You don't obsess about the same old things that you used to. You've fallen in love with Jesus. And now you want to be involved in church stuff, and you want to go to services and Volunteer your time and give money to missions projects. And some are just not going to understand that transformation. And some, if not all, will resist it. And some will outright fight you about it. Listen, don't let anyone ever take something from you that they didn't give to you in the first place. Jesus alone gives us what we truly need. When you fall in love with Jesus, you want to be in his presence. You want to do the things that Jesus loves to do. You want to be with the people that Jesus loves to be with. Conversely, if you find that you're not interested in doing the things that Jesus likes to do or being with the people that Jesus loves to be with, possibly it's because you've fallen out of love with Jesus. Today, fall in love with Jesus again and yoke yourself Come on, turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, yoke yourself. Go yoke yourself. <laughs> because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Jesus knows that we're gun-shy, we're burnt out, we're suspicious. People that were supposed to love us through our flaws in our faces. They put up our faults on display, on Facebook or whatever. They, they condemned us instead of loving us and forgiving Jesus knows that we have been mistreated and misused. And Jesus knows that we beat ourselves up over stupid things that we do, and we beat each other up too. And as soon as something goes wrong, we start assigning blame. Whose fault is this? Jesus said, I'm not like that. I'm not going to beat you up. Jesus says, "I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Jesus does the impossible for us. And then in addition to that, He takes time to patiently teach us how to do life His way. Now, pride is about thinking that you're better than you really are. And Jesus is already perfect, so it's impossible for Jesus to be proud. But even in His perfection, Jesus comes to us with gentleness. He comes as a servant not a slave driver. Serving Jesus is not about a return to religion and rituals and rules. It's about a relationship with him. And if we come to him, he takes from us the burden of having to please God on our own, and he replaces it with the light and joyful burden of relationship with God the Father and God the Son. And that quiet strength of Jesus helps us to learn how to love again. And how to trust again. And He binds up our wounds so that we can heal and we begin to love others and we can start to extend grace and patience with other people because those are the good gifts that He gives us and He intended us to share them. And it's not going to be a drudgery. Now we can enjoy the very things that we thought were hard work. Prayer becomes a pleasure because now we're talking to our friend. Bible reading becomes meaningful because now. We're hearing from someone who loves us. Going to church is a joy because now we're meeting with our family, not coming to make sacrifices to appease our God. No, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Are you grateful for those words from Jesus? Are you thankful? Come on, why don't we just stand to our feet right now and tell him thanks? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking those words to us. Thank you for your promises to us.